We are back, ladies, gentlemen, and interdimensional lizard people. Uh, we've got an awesome guest on today, but before we get to that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, do some ad reads here. Uh, today's first ad is from Peaches. Um, in case you didn't know, Peaches come from a can. They were put there by a man in a factory downtown. And if I had my little way, I'd eat Peaches every day. Also, not kind of sponsoring this episode, is this guy right here. Jack Casey, the, the based god of bad ad reads. Uh, in case you were wanting to know, his uh, book is available online and on Amazon, which is also online. Uh, but his website is theroyalgreen.com. He's got two books out. Um, apparently he has trouble reading and writing because it's taken him 16 years to write the third book, but go out, show him some love. Uh, you know, it's libertarian theme. So it's probably a lot of, uh, you know, philosophy and, uh, weed and, um, yeah. But anyways, so on to the real show. So today, as usual, my co-host, Will Daughtry. What's up? And our special guest, Mr. Jim Turney. Hey, how are you? Not Darnell and Will Darty. <laughs> Very nice. That's good pronunciation. <laughs> I'm probably actually saying it wrong, and I've done multiple episodes with him, and he's just too polite to correct me. It's true. I'm very used to it. I don't correct anybody. You have how to do you normally say it, Will? What's how do you do that? How do you say it? It's Doherty. If you say Doherty, Daughtry, it's just it's not worth my time. I've been okay. I've had this name my whole life and I'm just I'm not gonna worry about it. I don't take it personally. That's a very libertarian yeah. stance, bro. So uh just a little background information. I went full status and pulled up FBI and CIA files on Jim Turney. Uh, he was previously an LNC chair. That's correct, right? Indeed it was, or is correct. <laughs> this was, uh, what, back in 87 and 88? Yes, 89? Pre prehistoric uh, days uh, back then, pre-internet, pre before you guys were born and all that. Yeah, prehistoric, basically. <laughs> I'm surprised you found it. It was on a stone tablet or something? Where did you find that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, see, I'm, I'm, I'm out here in East Tennessee, so uh, we sent out uh, peri uh, pigeon carriers. So, you know, we uh, oh, yeah. it took us a little oh, while yeah. to find that it. That was yeah. our favorite way of communicating on the LNC back in the day. Messages in the bottle and pigeon carriers were really important to us. I'm not sure the LNC's got much better at communicating <laughs> to be honest. From this past week, I think they might need to go back to pigeons. I think that might help things a little bit. I don't know. Uh, that's it. That's We're starting the uh, Libertarian Pigeon Caucus. We only communicate by uh, pigeon or homing pigeon or uh, whatever you want to call it. You know, I but, had a pet homing pigeon once. They're awful pets. Don't ever buy one. They uh they crap a lot. They throw feathers everywhere. I just want to put that out there. If you're thinking about buying a homing pigeon, do not do it. And uh, if you're gonna keep one, make sure it's in an area that owls can't access either, because that's what my pigeon's fate was. 
Uh, what's up, Cajun? Uh, so, Jim, if you want to go ahead and kind of uh, talk about what you're doing these days. Um... Okay, sure. Well, I am not a real libertarian because I am running for re-election right now to the city commission, we call it here. Most people call it a city council, but we call it a commission in my city. And most cities here in central Florida, I'm just north of Orlando. And I've already been reelected once, so I'm clearly not a real libertarian. I mean, can you think of another libertarian, even somebody who claims to be a libertarian who's been reelected? No, I don't think so. So obviously I'm not a real libertarian. This is the right program for me. So <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. You, you Dude, I love it. That's accurate. That, that, that intro, but I'm, I'm doing a lot more than that. I'm also uh, the candidates committee chair for the libertarian party of Florida. I, um, I just got reappointed, in fact, by uh, we just had our state convention last weekend and Stephen Nicola, the state chair, uh, asked me to continue on in that role. And I'm very uh, pleased and proud of it because I really like to uh, see us focus on getting candidates prepared to run. And that's what I try to do, help everybody prepare to be a good candidate. And um and, and to help candidates. You don't have to be a candidate to need preparation. It helps to be prepared to help others. Um, and then eventually maybe you'll be a candidate yourself. Uh, but I also have a role, um, speaking of conventions, I'm on the uh, uh, convention organizing committee of the LNC that is organizing Reno, the Reno convention. So I'm busy with that too. And um, I might be really busy here coming up shortly because of this uh, last few days, I was elected a second time to the uh, national party's judicial committee. And um, I'm hearing that uh, there's a case coming our way here soon, one way or another, I guess. I don't know. We'll see nothing so far, but I might end up uh, having a lot of to do. Um, so that's what I'm doing. I've, I've got a, I've got, obviously I'm very involved locally. Um, I'm very involved at the state level and I'm very involved at the national level. And uh, I used to be involved, very inter internationally involved. I lived um, in Europe for, about, I guess, 13 or 14 years. I've actually lived there several times, but the last time was 13 or 14 years, and I was very involved with uh, libertarians in Europe. So I have a lot of European libertarian friends, and um, but that's definitely taken a back seat the last few years. Uh, can't claim I'm really very involved internationally. I'm next going to try intergalactic, but that's still, <laughs> I still have time, man. I'm still a young guy. I still have plenty of time to do the intergalactic thing. So, Jim, where did you live in Europe? Um, I, I lived in Germany for a while. That was when I was in. I volunteered for the U.S. Army on the day they ended the draft. And that was, in fact, my impetus to volunteer uh, because I was already a libertarian and I was against the draft. So I said, OK, if you're going to get rid of the draft, then I'll I'll go help defend my country. So I lived in Germany for um, almost three years on that occasion. Then um in uh, the last uh, bit, I lived officially, I lived in Cyprus, but I was um, really all over and mostly in the Netherlands. But my official residence was uh, in Cyprus. 
which is a little, in case you don't know, this little tiny island, eastern Mediterranean island country. <laughs> um, great, great place to live if you love history, because it goes back a long way there. I actually uh, <clears throat> lived in Cyprus. I shouldn't say lived in Cyprus. Uh, the State Department messed up a bunch of paperwork, and we lived there uh, for about five days. And I was super excited about living there because the girls across the street uh, suntanned uh, topless. So... Oh, uh, not everything's meant to be though. Cyprus, yeah, you actually go to Cyprus and see a girl across the street. Really? Because the, the, the I mean, I never left the house. I mean, we wouldn't even unpacked or nothing. So, I mean, that's well, all I had. I've heard a lot of fascinating stories about Cyprus, even from you know, of course, the, before I got there, which was two thousand two, um, and um, you know, they have an ancient history. So. Um, uh, but that's a that's pretty much a new one. They're they're very conservative, socially conservative there. So uh, they they really policed their beaches uh, even against uh, topless. So I guess she was pretty well shielded from any other view than yours because they would have been knocking on her door. Chris didn't um, tell you he was peeping through a window. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So what it was is a. Uh, um, yeah, so the house is like that the embassy keeps you in it. They're, they're usually uh, like they usually have walls and stuff. They don't want people knowing kind of who's there. So that kind of neighborhood kind of have walls and stuff. That's but true. I was out yeah. I was out front just kind of walking around checking that place out because I had nothing else to do. And I just kind of looked across the street and here she comes strutting out. I said, damn, this uh, this might be all right. But uh, uh, you, you had a rare a rare sighting there uh, for Cyprus. It's just uh, the kind of place that uh, people are very, very modest. In fact, you know, one of the things I used to say very frequently uh, when I was living in Cyprus, because of course, all the Cypriots, there are not many Americans there, by the way. It's the only European Union country where you're, it's pretty rare to come across an American. So people were very, uh, especially interested in engaging with me Almost everybody speaks English too, so that makes that engagement easy. But they would um, they would ask me, you know, what a what it's, what do I think of Cyprus, and you know, what are my impressions and so forth. And one of my most common comments was, you know, I grew up in the U.S. in the South in the U.S., uh, born in North Carolina, and uh, lived uh, a long time in uh, South Carolina, and uh, mostly Texas, and most of all Virginia. So I've lived in the South all my life. And um, of course, I was living in the South Cyprus, too. But I said, hey, uh, you know, this reminds me of the 1950s in the U.S. Cyprus is really like that, because when I got there and I think that went away while I was there, a lot of this kind of thing. But when I got there, it was actually pretty common. If you went out on a date with somebody, you had a chaperone, things like that. I mean, they were they were really, you know conservative, not politically. In fact, ironically, just the opposite politically. When I was there, I, a part, I lived in a couple of different places, but one of the places I lived was a little village on a hilltop or mountaintop. Actually, it was a pretty big mountain and uh, only about 350 people lived there. It's a little place called Kelaki. And the 
the head of the Communist Party lived there. And the Communist Party was the largest party in Cyprus. And they elected their president, who was this guy who lived in my village. I actually knew the president of the country, the head of the Communist Party. It was the only European country in or out of the European Union, the only European country that had officially a Communist Party head of government. And uh, but it wasn't very communist, but I must admit, but that was nominally. And he used to, by the way, love to give speeches uh, about the good old days of the Soviet Union and how much better everything was. And he would almost every speech, he would make some reference to, you know, in the good old days when you had the Soviet Empire, you know, things worked a lot better and (laughs) safer place. And, you know, everything was going to get better and and we were heading in the right direction. And now look what happened, you know. So that was a typical, you know, line of uh, of in his speeches. And uh, he was a nice enough guy on a for he was a bit of a grouch. But, you know, uh, I'd run into him in the village every now and then. And um, of course, he was mostly down in the presidential palace in Nicosia, near where you were living <laughs> at the embassy. But um, uh, the people there were 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 uh, very um very conservative socially, and uh, but the Communist Party was was the dominant party uh, in with about a third of the votes, and uh, but that was enough in a country like that because no other party had a third. There was another right wing party they called it that was uh, about a third. They were very competitive, and when he was president, by the way, he really screwed up a lot. So that was sort of the end of the communist party in terms of not existing, but in terms of having the presidency, they're still strong though in the parliament. It was a very interesting place in so many dimensions, but we're going to get off on that. And that's uh, definitely not real libertarian material. there. <laughs> well, I was, uh, I did four years in Germany in the air force and I was just fascinated by how different European politics are in general from ours. And, you know, I researched it a little bit and talked to all the locals there, of course. And I know they have the uh, Free Democratic Party, the FDP, which is kind of their most classically liberal party. Um, You know, they support free economics and stuff, but they're very pro-EU. So when you said that you met with libertarians and kind of worked with libertarians in Europe, what did that look like? Who were they? You know, were they organized? They got organized. Uh, well, I first started working with libertarians in Europe back in 1981. Uh, me and two other Canadian libertarians, Bruce Evoy um, and um, um, I'm embarrassing myself now. It's been a while. Vince Miller. I don't know why I blanked on for there a second on his name. Vince Miller and Bruce Evoy, Canadian libertarians, and I formed an organization um, that still exist. It, it, we called it Libertarian International at the time. And I helped organize our first ever conference in 1982 in Zurich, Switzerland. And we brought together, managed to find um, over a hundred libertarians scattered around mostly Western Europe. And um, we brought over, you know, people from uh, like Leon Lowe from South Africa mm-hmm. and Murray Rothbard from the U S and uh bunch of other people uh, and had a great conference. And that really sort of was the beginning of mainly European um, libertarian organization. Um, That just to footnote that the organization changed its name in, I think, 1989 to the International Society for Individual Liberty. And then it changed its name again about 
I guess it's been now already four, maybe five years to Liberty International. So you can find it on Facebook and on the web still. Uh, in fact, I think Mary Ruart, who you probably know of, um, she's not only the chair of the Judicial Committee, which I'm on, that I referred to a little bit ago, but she uh, is the president, the current president of Liberty International. It's the same organization. They just changed their name a few times throughout the year. I like the first name best, Libertarian International. So I have a long history of helping organize European libertarians um, in starting about 1986 and through 2000 or 2001, I would go to France every year for a conference in the south of France in Aix-en-Provence at the university there where um, some, let's say, classical liberals, libertarians, it's just a naming game, uh, we're all the same. Uh, they, some of, a lot of the French don't like the term libertarian because it's in their language, it's way too close to libertine, and that's a very different thing. So sure. they are uncomfortable with the term libertarian, or at least used to be at that time. They're getting more comfortable with it now. However, uh, they would do a conference, a great conference, academic conference, and we brought in all sorts of uh, top-notch uh, free market economists there. Um, I could go through a list. I don't want to get off into that. So. I have a long history. So when I got there and started living there again in 2002, it wasn't too many years before uh, the European Students for Liberty started organizing. So that is currently the number one organizing vehicle organization, if you will, for libertarians in Europe. And that really got going in 2008 when Ron Paul ran for president in the U.S. It really made a lot of news in Europe, interestingly enough. So here I am sitting in Europe reading the newspaper and I'm hearing about Ron Paul is running for president in the for the Republican nomination. And they were the media, the mainstream media was fascinated by him. And, and even in Cyprus, they're running stories in the local English newspaper about Ron Paul in 2008. I went, this is can't be for real. We couldn't even get this done. By the way, just so you know, when I was chair of the party, I was reelected at the and chaired the national convention where Ron Paul was nominated to be our presidential candidate. So I've worked with Ron Paul, obviously. So I have a lot of, I don't know, special knowledge uh, and connection with him due to being the chair of the party when he was our candidate. So I started thinking, well, this is an opportunity that can't be missed. Uh, amazing situation. So I started calling uh, mainstream media throughout, especially the Netherlands, but uh, other places, Sweden, Germany, uh, France, um, Swiss, uh, Cyprus, of course, uh, various places and saying whenever I see them, uh, especially if I saw them write an article or make a reference to him, I would call them up or email them and say, hey, I I'd throw out my credentials that I just told you about. And, sure. and if you want to you, you know, Ron Paul's not going to come over here during a presidential campaign. But if you want to know more and interview somebody, because they like, you know, media likes to do, you know, quote people and do interviews. It's, you know, the journalistic thing, you know, and makes them look like they're working hard to get get the information. You know, so I said, I'll help you. <laughs> Just let me know. So I did quite a few interviews by phone, uh, face to face uh, on a couple, even on television. Uh, so I, it was uh, quite an interesting time. And out of that came the uh, the European branch of the Students for Liberty. 
of course, that's international. There's a Students for Liberty here in the U.S. as well. Um, and the European Students for Liberty is really, really strong. The last time I went, it's now been a few years since I went to one of their conventions, but um, when they get their leadership together, that's like each university has a, a chapter or whatever, and the leaders of that chapter um, will go to a central place in Europe, and they all convene, and it gets 700, 1,000 students. Wow. At the leadership conference. So, it, it's impressive, very impressive. <laughs> so they're very so, active. In, and, and in Poland, <laughs> wow, the libertarian movement in Poland, at least used to be, again, I haven't been there in several years now, but uh, when I was last there, I would say the libertarian movement in Poland was bigger proportionate to the population of Poland compared to the U.S. It's bigger than in the U.S. It's probably more libertarian, more people calling themselves libertarian in Poland than, as far as I can tell, any other country. Again, as a percentage of the population, not in raw numbers, obviously, the U.S. is a much larger country. Well, you get screwed by the Nazis, you get screwed by the Soviets. I mean, that's going to make you pretty damn libertarian. Yeah, yep. you're not going to be real trusting of a lot of uh, governments after that. Exactly. So, uh, so it's it's and plus they have a lot of corruption in their government, even you know their their new government that after the Soviet Union fell. So that's pushed a lot of young people into looking for alternatives. And of course, as as you know, if you've been in Europe and know anything about European politics, they they have multi party systems. So and parties come and go. So they're much more accustomed and comfortable naturally from their earliest years of learning that, um, that, uh, that new political parties are to be looked at and taken seriously. They don't just, you know, and most Americans just as soon as they hear you're not a Republican or Democrat, they're like, okay, you're irrelevant. (laughs) Move on. (laughs) What next? And, but Europeans are not like that. They, they respect, um, Parties And so when I was national chair of the Libertarian Party, uh, I was, as if you follow the timeline I was giving earlier, I was very active. Uh, I was in, you know, Europe and European uh, uh, organizing European libertarians through the Libertarian International. And so I would visit a lot of, uh, of uh, major uh, political entities. And uh, I had the pleasure and honor of bestowing upon a man who at the time was a lowly minister in Belgium, but who came became the prime minister of Belgium. I gave him the Libertarian of the Year Award in, I think, 1987, if I remember. Maybe it was 86, 86 or 87. But the European Libertarians established this European of, of the Year, a Libertarian of the Year Award for Europe. And they, they selected him, not me but they asked me to come over and, and give it to him. So he and I kind of became friends that his name is Guy Verhofstadt. They became very popular in Belgium. So popular that when they could not form a government now, isn't that an interesting twist? They could not form a government in Belgium for two years. So they had no government uh, in terms of the way they call it, you know, meaning no official, they couldn't pass new laws. They could everything else function, but they could not pass new laws. And um, so they asked him to come back because he was so popular uh, from his term when he was elected. Uh, They asked him to come back and be a caretaker. So that was a kind of interesting side twist to that story of, uh, you know, meeting uh, European politicians who were at least uh, somewhat libertarian. He, you know, like anybody else, he does things which some of us would say, 
it's not a, you're not a real libertarian when, you know, when they say something or do something. And um, so, you know, they sling that phrase around over there too. So I know plenty of libertarians in Belgium. I'll say, Oh no, he's not a real libertarian. Anyway, they called him the libertarian of the year. That was their doing, not mine. So, uh, where do you want to go? I've now I've now given you a couple of different paths here we can take down. They're all rich with uh, stories, and I can go on. We could be here tomorrow night still if the electrons are still flowing by then. <laughs> if you want me to start telling stories, hey, I'll be up all night. I mean, I'm good with whatever. But uh, I, I just want to apologize. Uh, there are some animals in the comment section, and I've been putting them on the screen. I didn't know if you could see I'm them. Sorry. No, I've not been paying attention. I'm totally oblivious. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, we have Cajun and Eskimo watching. I mean, that means that means we've arrived. Come on, as far as this podcast <laughs> goes, that's a pretty big audience and probably the biggest guest. By the way, Jim, I tried to get Chris to tell me a little bit about you. He would give me no information. I had no idea you were a former LNC chair. So, oh. like I said, he apparently was in some kind of you know uh, sea cave and found the stone tablets to get that. <laughs> Not widely known information. To be fair, I sent him the link of uh, the Elpedia page that has all the information on you. But to be fair, it's not a lot. No, it's so. I should sit down one day with my keyboard, but you know, I ever I get encouraged to do that, but I just don't feel comfortable with, let's say, um, uh, doing my own Wikipedia page. It feels weird, so. You know, like uh, writing your own obituary or something. So I haven't, I haven't done that. So whatever's there, I don't know what's there, but whatever's there, I didn't put it there. So, so I would like to uh, say, uh, if you're fine with it, Jim, because it's all about consent. Uh, if anybody has any questions, you know, would you be all right with answering some? I'll try. Um, not going to guarantee I have all the answers, but who knows. I've got the first question while we're waiting for people to type. Um, We'll take it back to America so we don't spend the whole show on Europe because I'm sure we could. That's fascinating. Um, So the commission that you're part of, your city commission, is that a partisan race that you're in? Do you run as a libertarian or are you just running as Jim Turney? No, it's nonpartisan. And as I was explaining to somebody just a couple of hours ago that I was meeting with, I, I have a great deal of respect for that nonpartisan uh, the nature of this office that I hold, as well as, uh, you know, all of this political stuff, especially campaigns and holding office is very contextual. So in the next city next to mine, it it's very different, ironically. it's I don't know why, but it's very different political culture there. And um, they're much more you know, uh, partisan, let's say, even though their commission is also nominally nonpartisan. But in my city, um, it's not a very partisan kind of a situation. So I respect that. I'm not going to try to, you know, force people to think of things in a partisan context if that's not what they're already doing. Because let's step back a second here and maybe this will even help people understand some of the answers that I might give to questions like that. Um, when you're in a political campaign, so look at it on the micro level first, because it's easier to understand. You, The first stage of a campaign is, it, unless you're already famous, which you're usually not, is to do name recognition stuff. 
you know, bef- yeah, the, you at, if people don't even know you're a candidate and don't know your name, then, you know, it's hard to go to the next step. Well, the Libertarian Party, if you step back to the macro view in the United States, the Libertarian Party is still in that early stage where even even though a lot of people now know about the Libertarian Party, they still don't really feel like they know it. And for the most part, they know it better than they think they do. But they're still like, you know, okay, what is that? And who are these people? We never see them elected. So we don't know what what it's going to what's going to happen when we elect one. What is that going to look like? They're very used to seeing Republicans and Democrats elected. So even when you get an outlier for whatever reason, uh, they tend to they shrug that off because they already know what to expect in general from Republicans and Democrats, whether they're right or wrong. That's what they think. And perception, by the way, is reality. So keep that in mind. Yeah, we're talking about perceptions. Uh, We can argue over what the reality is. But, you know, anyway, uh, the the Libertarian Party is still in these early stages. So uh, because of the situation of that my city is in, in a number of ways, including the fact that my office is nonpartisan and including the fact that the political culture here is what it is. Um, I don't, I don't push the libertarian word out a lot. On the other hand, almost everybody knows unless they're really not paying attention, they know I'm a libertarian. So I'm widely known as the libertarian around here and, and I'm proud of that. I don't hide it, obviously, at all. But at the same time, you know, I'm not out there every time I get a chance uh, using the word or or whatever. By the way, it's technically also illegal for me to uh, use my party affiliation in campaigning. Uh, That's in Florida law. I think most states have that. I cannot also use the party affiliation or refer to the party affiliation of my opponents if if I get one. So. Uh, so there's also some legal uh, consequences that are part of that, too. But I'm right now just trying to show people these in this early stage of getting familiar and comfortable building relationship, becoming uh, getting their trust. Um, I'm trying to, um, uh, you know, show them that it's, you know, you know, like a libertarian, it's not going to be whatever horrible thing they might imagine. (laughs) Um, But I I must say also, there's one other major aspect to uh, the circumstances that I serve under in my city that is very, very rare. It's actually kind of easy to be a libertarian here. So a lot of the things that I might be in another city and almost any other city that I might be having to work against, we don't have the problem here. So for example, Uh, Altamont Springs, Florida is a very rare American city that has zero debt, nada, nothing. We don't owe a penny to anybody for anything. No infrastructure projects, no bonds, nothing, nothing. So there's no debt to worry about. Our tax rates are not low, but they're average. They're not high. There's many other cities, even in my county, that have, are not many. There's at least one other city in my county that is much higher tax rates than we do. Uh, Ours are, let's say, average. Uh, But we do a lot of things on a really excellent level in terms of um, the environment, in terms of the services that we provide. So it keeps people from having, there's not much 
there's not much ferment, let's say, political <laughs> ferment around here because everybody's very happy. Things are running very smoothly and there's not much to complain about. And if they do complain, they get pretty quick response. And uh, and I always follow up when people complain to me and they always say, no, I'm, I'm happy. That worked out really good. So it just is a very calm kind of a situation. But there's one other thing that's significant in this last year not so much because of anything happening here locally, but the national news. And uh, so we do get some citizens to uh, talk about it every now and then or, or wonder about it. And that is, what about your police? And Altamont Springs is very fortunate in that regard, too. We are a rare American city that does not have a unionized police force. Huh. The consequences of that is we're also very innovative. And when we get a bad policeman, we can discipline them and get rid of them. We, we don't have to tolerate them and make deals and all this other stuff that happens in the even the next town over. It's unionized and they they have to deal with that when they have a, a bad one. So we actually have a record of police turning in police in my city because it's not unionized. They're not, you know, there's not a union saying, no, you can't turn in your fellow officer. Uh, so that thin blue line doesn't really exist so much in my city. How and did it, y'all, how did y'all pull that off? Like how did y'all de-unionize the police in, in your city? We were never unionized. Um, and it just is good administration was there. And so the, the impetus to unionize, was never there because we handle the police department in a very professional way. Um, you know, did good training, had good, um, uh, good pension plan, good, everything were running smoothly. So because of this situation, all the police in this area, they want to work for my police department. So they're, so, they're coming, they're coming to us going, can, can we like, can we work for you? They'd rather work for our police department than the one in the next town that's unionized because they feel like it's, it's better. It's more professional. They just feel more rewarded. And it's not always just in pay, but we pay good. But here's an example of where we really shine in the last year. I had a citizen come to me and say, uh, a young woman, she she was obviously upset about, you know, the George Floyd and all that sort of thing. She said, hey, I want to our police to have body cams. Well, I was able to say we're we're like the first place in Florida to put a body cam on every policeman. We are the first place in Florida to put a, a dash cam in every police vehicle. So we already body cammed everything and, and cameraed everything with the police. Again, all the other cities around here, they're struggling to get the, the union to agree to allow hmm. cameras around because they're so, that this means that their guys are going to be caught out looking bad or something. Accountability. We don't, yeah. we don't, we don't, we don't have that problem here. We just told them, yep, we're buying uh, in the 90s. We put all of our vehicles got cameras in them. And I don't know what year, but quite a few years ago, we put body cams around on, on everybody. So it's, it's a different place. My city is kind of different than most. And it just, all these things add together to making it relatively easy for me. I'm just a very lucky guy to have, to have settled here back in 1969. So been around for a while. So uh, Jim, we got a question. Uh, Patricia Marie, hmm. Patricia Marie, the question and it is what is the job market like and i'm assuming she's talking about the area that you're in your city 
So did you want to elaborate on that? Well, um, yeah, I can talk about that. We certainly have a lot of job openings around here, like just about everywhere in America has right now, uh, because the economy is just on fire. And in fact, because of the way that Florida treated the COVID situation and reacted to it, where we the reason the National Convention of the Libertarian Party landed in my lap for the most part back last year when we couldn't go to Austin is because I was here in Orlando, but because Florida was opening up on the day that we uh, started our national convention here in Orlando is the day that Universal Studios, Disney World and SeaWorld opened up to the public. So we were not the only ones, but we were literally the LP national convention here opened up the convention um, business again, which is a huge element of our economy. Um, so so we've been opened up since you know beginning of July or middle of July. Uh, last year. And um, so we, we, you know, we did have some shutdowns or lockdowns, whatever, and uh, uh, that sort of thing. But we, it was a light touch and, um, and we, we left it uh, behind pretty quick. So as a result, a lot of people want to move to Florida. Now, let me give you a tip. Already before COVID, a lot of people wanted to move to Florida. <laughs> so, and because we invented air conditioning and, you know, it's everywhere around here. So, you, you know, nobody worries about the heat and humidity much anymore because you can just go inside. Um, and so, and of course, we have nice weather and beaches all over the place. We're surrounded literally by beaches, except on our north side. The Georgia-Florida line does not have beaches, unfortunately. But other than that, we're, we have beaches everywhere. And so um, we, um, we've just been a magnet for people coming in. Uh, actually almost overwhelming. But since things started lifting in the fall, we are overwhelmed. So housing prices here are just insane and going up constantly. And as a result, there, there's lots of, of everything demanded. So that means uh, we need we need more people to work. So the job market here is great. Um, it's uh, It's we don't have, on the other hand, we don't have the same level of crisis that I saw when I went to Atlanta, Georgia. We had the LNC Regional 2 candidate and affiliate leadership training there in Atlanta just uh, to, on Memorial Day weekend a couple of weeks ago. And um, me and my fellow Floridians that went up there together for that were a little shocked at, I mean, every restaurant we went to and not just around Atlanta, but even, you know, in the stops we made uh, once we got into Georgia going and coming, there were lines out in front of every place. And when we got inside, they'd have at least half the tables empty. And the story was, they said, well, we just, we can't seat you, even though we got a place to sit, we don't have the staff to serve you. So you're just going to have to wait. <laughs> because wow. we, we just don't have a place. Well, we don't have that around here. It's, I, I, I haven't at least seen a line in front of any restaurant and, but every restaurant is packed. I just was, like I said, with somebody a couple of hours ago and we were in a packed restaurant at four in the afternoon. So, so there, were, there was plenty of service. So but my point is it's not quite the same situation that I saw in Atlanta, but at the same time with, with shortage of staff, but at the same time, there's loads of jobs here. And so if you're looking for a job, um, come to Florida. We'd love to have you, especially if you're a real libertarian. So uh, we got another question for you there, uh, Jim. It's uh, from Ashley Greer Smoot. It's uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm saying this and she'll correct me hundred percent later, 
but it is what do you think other cities can learn from you and I assume it's supposed to say and implement themselves. Well, um, I, I would certainly hit again on this, you know, try to stay out of debt. I mean, there are times when there are certain things that kind of make sense if you don't have the money, but they need to get done, like build another water plant because, you know, growth and you might, you know, it's as long as you set up the, payoff stream directly related to the income stream based on that infrastructure. So I'm not saying there's literally never a place for debt, but the way we do things here, and I'd recommend other cities learn this, uh, all the other cities around here, if they need to build a police station like one city is doing now or a park, they borrow the money, they float a bond. The Just in my neighborhood here, there's a big park with indoor swimming therapeutic swimming pool, outdoor pool, meeting rooms. It's a civic center type thing. It's a huge thing. And outdoor sports of all kinds. Um, we There was a facility there with most of that already. We knew about 10 years ago that that needed to be redone. So we saved the money. We saved $17 million over nine, eight years. And then uh, when we had the money, we started writing contracts and then writing checks and it's now reopened, but we didn't borrow a penny to do it. So that's the way to try to do things to the best you can plan ahead, figure out what you need, figure out what's going to happen. And um, uh, with like wear and tear on facilities. So, and the other thing is look at private par- public private partnerships So to give you an idea of one that's pretty interesting, unfortunately, it's on hold right now in my city, but we are selling City Hall. We put a for sale sign out in front of City Hall and the police station and all the other offices. Yeah, we're selling this. That's right. We're selling it because we want to become a renter. So we want to make a deal with a developer. And we were having negotiations to do that when COVID came along. But due to the uncertainty of the economic situation of COVID that COVID represented it, it caused those negotiations to go on pause. And I'm hoping that uh, before long, they will resume. Uh, But uh, basically we want to allow all of that to become income producing areas to be privately owned and managed and operated. So it's not on the citizens and the taxpayers to worry about that. And we will then have a, of course, a special deal um, that we say, you know, You've got to take care of us. We've got our offices here, but we're renters. We don't own this. You're on the hook. If anything goes wrong, you're the ones who's got to do the maintenance, the insurance and blah, blah, blah. But we have our offices, our city council chambers and, you know, a police station and library and everything will be um, in privately owned facilities. So that's the kind of innovation that you can look at to minimize um, the government side, but in general, just good, you know, at the local level, try to keep the government out of controversial stuff and instead go to just the basic services and do them well. And that keeps the population calm and you don't, it doesn't energize the people who have another agenda, but they are taking advantage of the, the turmoil due to, you know, poor management or services to, um, you know, to try to do something else. So that's the nearest I can come to advice based management. 
Well, Jim, I really, I think you cut out for a minute there. I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to plug? Any socials? Any you know campaigns? Anything like that? Yeah, I do want to say something. Um, the people of Florida will go, oh, my God, here goes Jim again on this because I'm telling them this all the time, but it's good for the whole nation. If you are a member of the Libertarian Party, please, please do a couple of things. First of all, build relationships in your local community. One of the best ways to do that is to go and join a service club. That's the, like the Rotary, Kiwanis, uh, Optimist Club. Uh, sometimes uh, chambers of commerce are at least partially service clubs. Um, and maybe there's a, one or two others, at least uh, somewhat in your local community. Go around and visit them all. Find one that you're comfortable with for whatever reason and join it so that you get involved in the community. You'll learn a lot about um, a, a lot about your community and the political culture there, too. The more important one, though, is join or rather get appointed by an elected official to public office. You're actually serving in public office. Very similar, if not almost exactly the same as being elected without the campaigning part. So you get to learn process. You get to learn uh, uh, the political culture in your city or county. You uh, start having some political influence. It's uh and, and, and one other critical thing, it allows you to be very effective at either running for office yourself eventually or helping a candidate of the Libertarian Party who is running for office. So it's a very important thing for libertarians to do. Seek public office through appointment. And that usually means filling out an application that your city or county clerk has and um then, of course, letting elected officials know, get to know them a little bit. And and if they know you, see you around, they see that you've put in the application that you want to be of service. Um, they're usually looking. I mean, I just appointed two people at my commission meeting Tuesday night and I've got to appoint three more next month. So I'm out there looking around constantly who who's willing to serve. You know? So I'm asking people all the time. And, you know, sometimes it can be a little tough to find somebody. So um so it's not terribly difficult. Usually uh, that does vary again from locale to locale. Cause like I said, everything's contextual. The only other thing is just learn, uh, get, you know, do take advantage of training, whether it's offered by the LP at the state or local uh, or national level or either or even outside organizations. And um, so if you've, if you understand the tools of the trade, so to speak, the way things are done, you understand your local community, the political culture there, you've got good relationships, you've got a resume of participation, um, then you can really be effective at helping a candidate or being a candidate yourself. And the Libertarian Party is a political party. So if that's not what you're doing, what are you doing? That's my tip. It's important. That's brilliant. You know, everyone's got a different role to play in this and some people are making new libertarians and some people are making libertarians into activists, but that's, that's a new spin. I haven't heard making libertarians into politicians or at least community contributors. That's incredible. So community I'm influence. That that's right. Please take it to heart. By the way, those other roles that you mentioned, they are very important parts of the sure. libertarian movement, but they're not necessarily what we need to accomplish when we're in the libertarian party. Now, as I, I think I said or implied at least 
involved in a lot of different libertarian organizations throughout my life and helped start some. And, you know, there's an extremely important role for think tanks, for lobbying organizations, for, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, recruitment, so to speak, organizations like the Advocates for Self-Government, which I helped Marshall Fritz get going back in the 80s, which still exists. And there's others. Um, it's really important to have those organizations. The Libertarian Party can't do it all. It's too much to try to accomplish all of these things. And so in the early days, the Libertarian Party had to do, in effect, all of this. It was the Libertarian Movement. Now we have all these other organizations that have grown up as the libertarian movement has grown. There are many organizations that are targeted and specialized in doing things like the ones you mentioned. So I would suggest that a good libertarian will be a member of a number of organizations and participate in these different ways through different organizations. Not that the libertarian party should never try to, you know, if you're doing a libertarian party, you know, whatever action, that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to convince people to be libertarians just because there's, another organization that's specializing in that, but it does mean you need to focus on the political action type. That's what the Libertarian Party's specialty is. That's what we should be specialist at. So when you're action, act, taking action in the context of the Libertarian Party, uh, let that be your, at least your primary uh, focus. Well, Jim, like I said, I appreciate you coming on tonight and uh, we wish you well in the future, bub. Thank you so much. And to you guys, too. It's a pleasure to meet you in Atlanta, Chris, and um, look forward. I don't know that we've ever met Will, but I look forward to meeting you. just you did. And, <laughs> and all the rest of the people viewing right now and in the future. I look forward to meeting you all. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Jim. Appreciate it. Well, Will, it's just you and I. Oh, no. My worst nightmare come to life. Two islands in the stream. <laughs> man that guy's got some good information though what a freaking well of knowledge dude good good job getting him on yeah man so any plugs rectal or otherwise caucus. of course please like the libertarian veteran caucus follow us on facebook like our dank memes share our dank memes and the oklahoma libertarian party we could absolutely use your support uh, Way better than the Tennessee. Way better. Says absolutely nobody. Whatever. We've got way we, more followers. We're busting through the walls on every side. Just, just wait. We've we've got uh we've got mountains. Uh, what do you have? Flatland. Mm, we've got mountains. Based. We've actually got four different mountain ranges. You know, we're one of the most geographically diverse states in the country. Besides California, that's the only one that's more diverse than we are. Uh, yeah. Just to uh, just to add in here, Alice said, "What is there in Oklahoma?" The correct answer is uh, D. Nothing. Uh, medical marijuana, constitutional carry. Uh, I don't need to go on. I feel like that's plenty, honestly. I mean, Tennessee's got everything. I mean, what what more do you want from Tennessee? Uh, medical marijuana, uh, constitutional carry. Wait, you guys are asking for permission? Touche. Uh, Kagan has a question for you. Uh, is Will drinking beer? Diet 7. <laughs> I feel like he is coming for The beer of champions. I do. I do get part of the movies. 
I didn't even read the whole thing. I'm so. <laughs> that's cold, man. But you know what? Whenever I'm your age, I'm going to look as young as you do. So that's the goal. Holy shit. Oh, my God. I did not read that all the way. <laughs> We're going to fight, Patricia. We're going to fight. And you guys can also like Toklahoma, which is another organization I founded and am a part of that uh, fights for marijuana freedom and cannabis freedom in Oklahoma. Damn. I did not mean to set you up like that. I did not read the whole question. I just seen him say, hey, is Will drinking beer? And then I was like, okay, there's something else, whatever. And then I read it. I was like, oh, shit. It's all right, Cajun. We're going to get you on here in a week, man. We'll have some time to roast you. Don't worry. So uh, just for everybody out there, uh, the two people who are still listening who have not uh, lost um, all interest in living. Um, next week, we will have Cajun Libertarian on. Um, great guy. Uh, but I lie a lot. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, but no, so yeah, so the schedule for the, the next month is we got Cajun. He's, uh, he's an awesome dude. Uh, then we have uh, Spike Cohen and then uh, Brian Lambert because uh, we're we're trying to move up in the world. I'm not sure where, uh, but somewhere. I'd say that's doing it. We're having Spike Cohen on. I I thought you were joking about that, to be completely honest. Then I saw it on the schedule and I was like, oh shit, that's for real. But all right, it's on. He's still throwing fucking shade. <laughs> See, I gotta be careful talking shit about Cajun because uh, Matt Wright and Spock were talking shit about him the other day, and then he dropped this fire, fucking dank yeah, ass yeah. song. That was awesome. Did you see that? that? Yeah. Oh yeah. I sent y'all the video, didn't I? Before I posted it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, spot. you gotta be careful. Cajun, are you a musician too? Was that you singing the whole time and and playing guitar or something? Yeah, so <clears throat> the way he talked about it earlier was he had his phone on his knee and then uh, he had like the guitar to his side and he was playing and then singing and trying to record all at once. And uh, he said it come out a lot, sounding a lot better than what he thought it would. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it when I watched it live, I was at work and I about fell out of my chair laughing. It was freaking hilarious. Um, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, I got a slight little ego boost because uh, Matt Wright and Spike were like, yeah, Chris, you had a great question. And then I get followed up with his fucking bullshit. This motherfucker drops the song of the century down there. So uh, that's all right. He uh, he absolutely deserves it because that was the funniest thing I've ever heard. I mean, it was ridiculous. But. uh, Yeah. Hell yeah. That goes. A libertarian comedy channel one of these days. That's going to start it off. I would say that's probably Muddy Waters Media. Uh, but hey. True. You know, we can have a good time. Uh, next week's going to be fucking lit. I'm telling you that now. I've been hyping the shit out of this. Uh, it's it's going to be funny. They're, Cajun and I. <clears throat> Cajun and. I have been speaking, and uh, you know he's an awesome dude. And it's just, yeah, next week is going to be wild. I don't think, 
I don't think you spoke to him enough to understand how how awesome it's going to be. It's going it's going to be a great episode. So, hell yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, ladies, gentlemen, and Will Daughtrys, uh, even though it's not how you say his last name, but y'all have a good night. Be free, and there's no such thing as a real libertarian. <laughs>